Last time uh, we, we quoted William Barclay, who said it was probably the most difficult book uh, for any uh, today in the New Testament, for any modern-day New Testament student to study. And it is full of difficulties. It's amazing. The more I read about it, got a couple more books into this week that I was studying about it, and uh, all of them <laughs> to a one. Talk about how difficult and some difficult uh, uh, truths presented in it and things. But I love what he's added to that. He said there's no book in the New Testament more worth the effort to understand. And so it is true, man. I agree with that as we study it. I, I, I tell you, you will grow through your study of Hebrews if you do it diligently. You will grow in appreciation of your God and your Christ, your Savior. We will, we will grow in our appreciation for the superiority and supremacy of Jesus Christ. And uh, as this book puts it forth, and so I'm excited about that. Last time we talked about the audience uh, and uh, multifaceted in the sense I don't think we can narrow it down to one audience. There's just too much in here directed in, in, in a shotgun style, if we might put it that way. We've talked about the first group, those saved Hebrews struggling with slipping back into the old ways. And this was written to these Jewish believers to strengthen them, encouraging them since they were floundering a little bit. The second group uh, was the unsaved Hebrews uh, struggling with putting their faith in Christ after being intellectually satisfied as to who he was. In other words, they were intellectually convinced, but they were spiritually uncommitted. They were unwilling to really put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so he's writing to them. He's trying to encourage them to take that step of faith as we talked about last week. So we won't re-preach it. The last group, or the third group, excuse me, uh, the unsaved Hebrews struggling with Christ being the Messiah. These are the ones that refuse to accept the evidence, the facts, and they're resistant to Jesus Christ being the Messiah and so forth. And then we talked about the appeal that needed to be made to them, the reasoning that took place and that takes place in this book with them, okay? The last one, obviously, is it's in the canon of scriptures. It's written to all Christians of every age. It's a challenge for you and I. It's a uh, the ability to grow up in this book, to deepen. And we looked at the passage even last week, the reality. He says, my goodness, we need to move on to the meat of God's word. Well, Hebrews will help you do that. And uh, it is the, a book of uh, main courses repeated time and time again, if we could put it that way. And then uh, we talked about the call that is present here, that uh, move towards perfection, maturity in Christ, full growth, and based upon the knowledge of Christ and the power uh, of Christ who saves us, directs us, and intercedes. And we talked about the author of Hebrews, and ultimately, um, I think it was Origen who says God knows who the author was, and, and it's true. And uh, nonetheless, the Holy Spirit, I would lean, as I said last time, to Paul. We gave several reasons and uh, why I believe that was the case and so forth. And we won't rehash those. You see that up here, remember from last week. And so... Um, uh, obviously, uh, uh, those are important. Okay, so this is where we left off. And I, again, I don't want to waste, waste much time in review simply because I'm going to get to prayer time. Where we left off, though, uh, these introductory remarks, as we put it, they really set the table for you and I spiritually uh, to help us understand what we are getting into as we delve into the book of Hebrews. It helps us to capture the mindset, especially the things we'll look at tonight, of those, the audience in that day, and really thereby grasping the thrust of the passage. And so it begs the question, what is the theme of Hebrews? What is the overarching theme that kind of runs through its pages from chapter 1 to chapter 13? What is the goal, the end result desired to be achieved? Or we might put it this way, what is the ambition of Hebrews? And so that's the Roman numeral number three is the ambition of Hebrews, the ambition of Hebrews. Ultimately, we would say this, if we were to boil it down into one statement, it's the exaltation and magnification of Christ as our Savior. 
If there's one theme that runs throughout the Scriptures, one uh, desire of the author, ambition of the author, is I want to magnify Jesus Christ. I want to exalt Him above anything and everything Judaism uh, provides or represents. And so the magnification, the exaltation, and there's a constant theme uh, that is found throughout the chapters of this truth. Okay? Look back in Hebrews chapter 1. We were there last week, and let's just remind ourselves of verses 1 through 4, if we will. It says this, God who at sundry times in divers' manners spake and tie pass unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us, and here's the introduction to Christ, and this being the theme, by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, and note this last statement, we'll reference it later tonight, uh, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, verse 4, being made so much better than the angels, and he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Immediately, you get four verses in Hebrews, you realize what this is all about, what the theme of it is. Jesus Christ exalted, magnified, he is the Savior that is greater and better than anything else. And so that's really what is presented to you and I. If we were to clarify or reduce this ambition uh, down to a more palatable or understandable concept, we would say that in doing so to fulfill this magnification of Jesus Christ, what does the author of Hebrews do? Uh, do what, does he, uh, what does he do throughout the book? He does this. He, he presents several contrasts and th- uh, many contrasts. We'll see it unfold in the, the chapters here. Uh, verse, these first four verses already presented you and I with a couple contrasts, didn't it? First of all, he compares the prophets of old with Jesus Christ. So you see a contrast immediately, verse number one into verse number two. And then he adds in verse number four, contrasting Jesus Christ with who? Angels. And that carries on for some time in the book. And he just goes chapter after chapter, passage after passage, and contrasts Jesus Christ. So we could say compares and contrasts many times over. Uh, And that goes throughout the whole book. And what is he saying? Well, verse number four tells us, right? He's saying throughout the book of Hebrews that Christ is better than anything you have right now in Judaism. And that's verse number four. What does it give us? It gives us two, the main two key words here, used many times over throughout the book of Hebrews. So these are the two main key words, if we could put it. It is the word better, see it in verse number four, being made so much better than the angels, as yet by inheritance attained a more excellent name than they. Key words. Uh, you'll often find what we see here, too, is that the word, um, the word more, or even the word <laughs> better here, uh, as it is in verse 4, he adds to it much better, or much more, so much more, so much better. And, and uh, he does this many times throughout uh, the book of Hebrews, Paul does, I believe, uh, just, man, emphasize, man, we have so much better. Hey, have you ever caught yourself talking to your children or your grandchildren, and you're, you're comparing when you grew up with when they grew up, and you try to t- show them how they have it so much better today than when you did? Ah, oh, you have it so much better. I mean, we didn't even have television, or we, we, we hardly watched that or did that. We didn't have things. We didn't have cell phones when we were going up. You have it so much better today. Uh, maybe you say something to the effect of where you point out that they have much more uh, opportunities today or much more of something today. 
and you're comparing it to when you and I grow up, grew up and you're helping them say, hey, well, listen, wake up. Don't be a spoiled kid of the, of the modern age that doesn't realize how much better you have it or how much more you have it. Do you realize spiritually that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is doing? Why would you lament about Judaism and all the sacrifices and your heritage that as you come to trust in Jesus Christ, why would you lament not doing that anymore? Listen, what you have in Jesus Christ is so much better. It's much more than you would have ever had through that. And that is the theme that flows like crazy throughout this passage. Christ is better than the prophets of old. He is better than the angels. He is better than the sacrifices of old. He is better than the priests of the Old Testament. His covenant is better than the old uh, covenant. Excuse me. And in it all, he offers much, much more than anything that old system could ever offer us. Uh, In describing this more or better, there's a few other key words you'll see repeated throughout Hebrews. Some of those are perfect perfect or perfecting perfection you'll see that throughout hebrews there is the word eternal a focus on the internality of life that we now have in jesus christ and eternity with god you'll see that expressed time and time again here in hebrews and then he uses the term heavenly or heavenlies or heaven and uh, describing look how much better it is and so expounding upon those things and you'll see him employed time and time again in the passage characterizing that better the more that we have in Christ. And I'll tell you right now, my friend, I, I get excited talking about it because it's such an exciting book. There's such a description of what we have in Christ and how much better it is than, than people who are lost, people who uh, in some false religion are faltering and, and failing and in that, and that never brings them to uh, Jesus Christ. I was talking with somebody this week, and they were saved out of uh, a, a, a another denomination or cult, however you want to describe it. And, and my goodness, the, the, the treasure and delight to have your eyes opened. And, and the light of God's word of who Jesus Christ is shed, uh, it was a works-based faith that they were saved out of. And my goodness, what a, you know, that's, that just thrills my heart when someone is rescued from something that offers really nothing and comes to know that Jesus Christ has offered a free gift, salvation, eternity with God in heaven. And that's really what Hebrews lays out for you and I. Uh, It would do us good to gain the perspective of the readers that day through what I have called background consideration. As we get into Hebrews, you and I, without an appreciation for the fact that it is written to Jews, many of whom are saved out of Judaism, some who are still in Judaism and need to put their faith and trust in Christ, and then obviously some in Judaism who refuse to acknowledge who Jesus Christ is, uh, it would do us well to remind ourselves to put on the perspective of those Jews and some things that would have influenced them. The first is this, you see it, uh, letter C on our outline here. To see God meant to die. (laughs) This would be a truth for the Jews. This would be something that uh, literally uh, they had grown up with this reality. In other words, to approach God was a very dangerous thing. Think back to the Old Testament and the reality of when God showed up on the mountain and they they were warned not even to come up and what? Touch the mountain. 
There, there was a separation there. Oh, yes, Moses was able to go in somewhat the presence of God, see some form of the manifestation of God, but the Jews as a whole could not. It was during that time with Moses that we have this somewhat ominous statement, Exodus chapter 33 and verse 20, and he said, God did, thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. So here's a truth that was passed on, and and certainly the Jews would have adopted this. It's interesting if you you probably remember a few of the instances in the Old Testament that somebody either had a a theophany where Christ appeared in the Old Testament to them or an angel appeared to them, and they were scared. And one of the things that is mentioned in a couple passages, some of those Old Testament saints were scared that they were going to die because they saw God or even just some manifestation of God. It scared them. We often talk about that's why sometimes the angels showed up and their first words are what? Fear not. To some people, it was probably faint not. Fear not. Don't don't faint. It's going to be okay. And this was ingrained in the the thoughts of Jews. Um, It's only once a year. This is interesting. During Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement is all also known. The high priest, on that one day, it was the only day that he could enter into the Holy of Holies. And if you remember, that was a time with much fanfare and, and much preparation by the entirety of the nation, by the individual priest and the high priest and so forth, that he could go into the Holy of Holies where the Shekinah glory resided above the Ark of the Covenant. And he could go in there, but to offer atonement and things, hence the name Day of Atonement, we'll get more into it, but that was where the presence of God was manifested for the Jews in the tabernacle and the temple. And yet no one could see God, no one could behold God, even approach him, but that one time. And even then, you remember there is throughout the Old Testament the impetus that that high priest could not linger. He could not stay in there. And there was always the fear that he would bring the terror of judgment. And and we talk about the rope attached to him and so forth. That if he was unworthy in one way or the other, that they would have to pull him out and such. And so uh, that is given. And it is a picture and a reality. The Jews did not enjoy any kind of personal nearness with God. No personal nearness with God. Uh, For them, certainly because of their sins and such, that there was no nearness, and yet God wanted to commune with Israel. He he wanted to establish that, so he instituted the covenant by which they could have a special relationship with him. And so he opened the door, God did. He opened the door through obedience uh, to him and his law that they could have a special but limited access to him. So God is restoring and bringing about an opportunity for man that was broken by sin in the Garden of Eden and such. And it shows in Israel to have this special relationship, yet still still limited, this access to him through the Holy of Holies and such. But the problem with that is this. What, What happened among the Israelites time and time again? Well, sin always interrupted that access. Sin always broke uh, that communion, that that fellowship where we could put it as such. It put up a a barrier. And that barrier was there. And one of the great realities of when Jesus Christ died on the cross of of Calvary was in the reality in the temple. We all know it well. That veil that separated the Holy of Holies was ripped. 
signifying that no longer did a barrier have to be there. No longer was there something that, that, that uh, could, could only temporarily be uh, accessed or, or temporarily in a short time just uh, come before God. Uh, no longer Jesus Christ had come to remove that barrier once and for all. Such a beautiful truth. And so when we're talking about this, the Jews, they're having to wrap their minds around that, that Jesus Christ, and, and when that veil got ripped, the reality was that Jesus Christ is now the one who has now permanently provided access for anyone into the very presence of God. And for a Jew, that, that's hard to wrap their mind around. It's resonating in their heart and mind that if you see God, you, you will die. Well, praise the Lord that you and I can be changed because of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And in that, we can come into the very presence of God time and time again. Aren't you thankful today when you needed something, you could pray in the moment and come into the very presence of God? It wasn't that the Old Testament people could not pray. Don't get me wrong, but the reality is Jesus Christ now has defeated that barrier. And you and I can easily, if we have sin, forsake it, ask for forgiveness and be cleansed. And Jesus Christ is our interceding on our behalf, and he has paved the way for you and I to talk to God whenever we need to. Man, aren't you thankful that we don't have to design this auditorium with a place up here that has a veil in front of it and, and that's the Holy of Holies and God's presence in there and once a year a pastor has to go back there and offer an atonement. Man, aren't you thankful we don't have to do that? Aren't you grateful that no longer that, that that's the old system and we have something much better and someone much, more, much greater? Uh, that's what these Jews had to wrap their minds around. A second background consideration, and again, we'll get more into some of these things as we get into Hebrews, but just kind of set the table for us. Just kind of put us in the mindset of the Jews as we, uh, at the onset of studying the book of Hebrews, old sacrifices versus a once and for all sacrifice. The old sacrifices spelled out time and time again there in the uh, uh, Old Testament those were merely an outward act of inward repentance. So we'll see much mentioned about the sacrifices and the priests that offered them, and we'll get into that here in the book of Hebrews. Uh, because using the means of the priest, the sacrifices were made. Now, they were symbolic. They, they symbolized the atonement of sin. And, and uh, the understanding, this was how that barrier was taken down, how the Jews could approach God and, uh, on some level. And so as the covenant was established, God gave his law. But then the law was broken. They broke the law in their sin. The barrier went back up. And so they would have to then, in turn, Offer a repentant act of sacrifice to remove the barrier. So if you think about it, here's the old system, the, the repetitive, okay, you sin, you got to go offer a sacrifice, and they'd have to go to the temple, and they'd have to get the help of the priest, and so forth. And so it often begs the question, how often did they offer sacrifices? Do you realize within that system, they were continually offering sacrifices? There were daily sacrifices that had to be offered hourly sacrifices there are there were yearly monthly sacrifices and uh, that were offered by the people by the priests by the nation literally they never stopped why because the people never stopped sinning 
You never stop sinning. We got to keep offering sacrifice. You did something wrong this week. Oh boy, now you got to come offer a sacrifice. Now listen, it is so much better that when you and I sin, all we have to do is ask for forgiveness. The sacrifice has already been made. And that is what the author of Hebrews is trying to make perfectly clear to those who would read this truth. You know what's funny about it? Not funny, but even makes the point greater. You know, the very priest who have to offer the sacrifice for the people, they themselves had to first offer sacrifices for themselves <laughs> because they too were sinners before they could make the sacrifice for the people. Now think about it. It was very much like a yo-yo with the barrier, up, down. Every time we sinned, the barrier came down and you couldn't approach God. You couldn't uh, up and down, up and down like a spiritual tennis match. The ineffectiveness of the system was proven time and time again by the system itself. And so the author of Hebrews will point out, uh, it was there. And, and boy, Paul loves to point out. You know what the old system did? It was ineffective in saving people. Because the Bible said if, if you break the law in one point, you're what? Guilty of all. So the system was ineffective, and that was certainly God's intention with the old system to point out, wait a minute, none of us, no human uh, person that's born with a sin nature can live sin free. You need a Savior. That old law pointed to that and made the point. And so uh, this old system, it, it was, if we could describe it as such, it was a losing battle. It was a losing battle. Furthermore, it never could remove sin fully. It really only atoned for it in the sense of the definition of atonement covered it up. Uh, looking ahead, if you want to put it that way. It necessitated there had to be what Hebrews describes as a perfect sacrifice. A new sacrifice. The picture of the Old Testament would no longer do. That symbol, that shadow of the, uh, the, the real thing was powerless to remove sins once and for all. Enter Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The one who comes on the scene is indeed that perfect sacrifice. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter number 10, and uh, you'll see just the, the confirming statements that are made in the passage of this truth. Hebrews chapter 10, we look at verse number 10, if you will, with me. Hebrews 10, 10. Great statement. He says, by the which we are sanctified, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So he's looking back at all those continual offerings and day in and day out. He says, oh, Jesus Christ has made the offering in once. And I, and I so appreciate the King James translators here being allowing themselves to be led of the Holy Spirit. And they've added in italics what? Once for who? All. Whosoever whosoever for all people that jesus christ's death is effective for all i love the reality that they added that in there addressing the efficacy of christ's sacrifice and so we can make this statement it's one sacrifice what not multiple no one sacrifice uh, it is uh, offered just once 
Did it have to be offered again and again, that one sacrifice, Jesus Christ? And that's why I disdain the erroneous doctrine uh, of the reality of uh, the transubstantiation, the, the, uh, the, the bread in the uh, Lord's communion, the juice becoming the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. Friend, Jesus Christ does not need to be sacrificed time and time again. It was once for all. Not to be offered again and again and again. And praise the Lord, it is efficient for every human being that's ever born. Once and for all. Now, you tell me, isn't that better than that system laid out in the Old Testament? I can't imagine daily having to come to the temple, weekly having to come to the temple and offer a sacrifice and committing a sin. And, ah, man, i got to go get some turtle doves or something else to go offer a sacrifice. Aren't you grateful you don't have to do that today? That's what Hebrews speaks to and points out. To that I say praise be unto God. Amen. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 12. Come down a couple verses. But this man, Jesus speaking of Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. We read verse number four, I believe it was. Actually, scratch that. Verse number three, uh, Hebrews chapter one. You remember it said the same thing. He sat down on the right hand of majesty. And I love this statement. Hey, do you realize this? You know one of the toughest jobs in the Old Testament would have been? Being a priest. You take this sacrifice, got to put it up here. Listen, you know what's funny? In the tabernacle, in the temple, we can't find any record of any seats there. Priests didn't sit down. Continually going, taking a, a sacrifice, tending to sacrifice, offering for this person, offering for this person. There was no stop. It did not end. Day after day, got to go through it again. We got to offer more sacrifices. This feast, this year, we got to offer more sacrifices. Praise be unto God. Jesus Christ offered it once, and he's sitting down. Because it's once and for all. Once for all. What a great truth the Hebrews bears out for you and I. Don't you un- understand tonight? This is exactly why Jesus Christ said what on the cross? It is finished. It's finished. It's a done deal. The offering has been made. Look at verse number 14 of Hebrews chapter 10 here. For by one offering... He hath perfected, there's that word, one of those key words, forever them that are sanctified. Back up there in verse number 10, he, he talks of that, by the which we are sanctified. Now that word, may, uh, that usage of the word sanctified literally means certainly set apart, but it, it brings out the idea of being pure. We are made pure. Our count is cleaned because of Christ's sacrifice. And now we read here in verse number 14 by that one offering, he perfects us, those who are sanctified. It's a great truth. And we say all that, we can make this last consideration too that obviously we've talked about already. already. There's a better sacrifice offered by a better priest. Jesus Christ being that priest. It will point out, we will find this emphasis in the book of Hebrews that Christ is described as our great mediator, our interceder. He is the great priest And so we can imagine the author here of Hebrews is saying to uh, the believing Jews, you can continue to trust in him. He is a priest worthy of uh, your trust day in and day out. 
the knowledgeable yet not trusting Jews. They, he is presented as a great priest that they must look to and receive the sacrifice he has made for them. And then all those of any nationality and ethnicity that have yet to understand who Jesus Christ is, Hebrews presents him as the great high priest, so much better than anything they could trust in today for salvation. He's a high priest that offers a better sacrifice. In fact, the, you'll see it here that he has given a sacrifice that can take away our sins forever. Forever. What a great book in its presentation. And if I would say it this way, I love what Hebrews said. If, he, if Hebrews had the, uh, a, a, like a newspaper headline, it probably looks something like this. He has arrived, the perfect priest, offering the perfect sacrifice. This is what Hebrews declares. And my friend, it is an exciting book, <laughs> book full of great truth, and I trust it will continue to challenge you and I as we study it. Brother Cliff, you'll bring those prayer requests, and as Brother Cliff does so, I'll share those.